0: Everyone and welcome to Better Than Than Perfect a podcast for SaaS founders, marketers, and product people. Today our awesome guest is Claudio Murario, co-founder and CEO of InnerTrans, and we're gonna talk about measuring the RY of email. This show is brought to you by UserList, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. It matches the complexity of your customer data including many-to-many relationships between users and companies. Book your demo call today at userless.com.
1: Hey, Claudio. Hi, Jane. Great to be here.
0: We're so excited to talk to you again. We've touched on the topic multiple times because you've been our guest at the workshops before, but I'm delighted to unpack the topic with a dedicated time. So, for listeners who don't know, tell us more about what inner trends do and your background story.
1: Yes, definitely. So, how oh, background story? They always get, uh, where do I start? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a college dropout. And no way. Yes. <laughs> I never fit. Probably should answer. I tried to get the answer to that question why I could never do it. But yeah, I tried three times. I uh, never managed to, to get through college, but I got obsessed by how do we make web projects in a way that they can actually have an impact in the people's lives. Now, that was many years ago, like 15, 20 years ago. I was very young and I remember what got me started in this industry, which kind of shaped me up to today. I was a teenager, probably 18, 19 years old, and I started my first company where I did websites. And I got this big shot client in my city, the biggest company that wanted me to make their website. And I was so excited about it. And I make the best website I can uh, deliver. Back then, a lot of companies did not have websites. So it was one of the first companies in the city who would uh, have a website. And when I finish it, I go to present my project. And the CEO of the company was such in a hurry, asked me how much it cost, gave me the money, and that was it. I never, pre- like, he didn't want to see the website. He didn't care about it. And that frustrated me so much. I would have been happier if he would see the website and be excited and not pay me rather than pay me for it and not look at the <laughs> website. Yeah, So it got me very, very frustrated and got me to the question when, well, how do I know if a website is good or bad? How do I decide that? Like, how do I make it in a way that I know it is a good website? Well, it needs to have a job, which was the job of a website. And slowly I got to realize that it's about the audience. How you make something that has an impact in the audience life, because you make the website for somebody to visit, what's their goal and how do you get them to that goal? And that's when I probably decided to drop off from my first <laughs> <laughs> college and focus on this completely, because there was nothing that was addressing this topic. And I took it upon myself to learn about it and became what was called a usability expert, I think. That was my first job. I, uh, when I moved from my small city to the big capital and got my first real job, that was my role of a usability expert. And yes, I did uh, labs and interviews and I was working. I got very, very deep into this trying to understand how people use websites. But from there, again, I started to get frustrations because it would take forever to learn something. Like if you invite people in a room and ask them to use a website or an application and try to look at them or feel them or anything like that, it would take months to find something valuable that you make a decision based on. And that's when I discovered the data. So, and I've been on that road ever since, because I realized that data gets you faster to insights than anything else. And there was a lot to learn. I had, again, just like in the first situation, there was nothing and nowhere to learn. There was no Google Analytics when I decided that data is the way to go. And yes, I learned how to write tracking codes. I learned how to analyze data, how to build reports. And I learned all of that by myself, but that gave me the opportunity to see the inner of everything and kind of gave me a different perspective on the data. And then a couple of years forward, we got to the point where everybody has data, but still very few make decisions based on that data. And even if we get to the topic of today's podcast, everybody sends email, everybody knows How many people receive the email? How many people open the email? And there is so much data there. But very few go beyond the open rate and click rate metrics. And yes, there's so much more that you can get out of all that data. And that's how I got to InnerTrends. I got to a question, okay, everybody has data. Everybody has access to visualization of the data. Yet, why don't they make more decisions based on data or better decision based on data and that's when i realized that the secret stays in how you think about data and the questions you ask from data it's not the answers or it's not the you not being able to get answers from the data most people don't know what questions to ask from the data once they have the questions very clear getting those answers actually becomes easy because it's a technical thing everybody has a technical person in the company that can help them get that answer. The problem seems to be, how do we ask the right questions? And that's what got me uh, into InnoTrends, which is a pre-built product analytics solution, which works as a collection of existing questions that we've seen out there with all the companies we've worked with and are designed by data scientists, by growth experts, questions that you should get answers from in order to better understand what's happening. I know it's a very long introduction, but yes, that's how I got from being a teenager to building an offense.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty fascinated with your story. Now I understand where you are coming from and where your insights are coming from. So you have this lar- access to the larger picture of your clients, not saying you're perusing the data, but you work with clients who have, have data. How big of a role does email play in that in general, because email marketers are so self-centered. And if you work on a tool like we do, you would think that people don't do anything else but just send emails all day long and think about them. However, like being there, it's actually our fifth year anniversary today. So being there for five years, we know that email is (laughs) (laughs) is not the center. So what does your data
1: show? Well, depends on what the product is. There are products where email is the center. Because the email is the product. There are products out there where email is the product. Most of what people interact with is the email. So they build the product inside the email. One of the most recent companies that I've seen doing that is like what their product does is on Monday, they send an email to all the employees of a company, ask them to rate how was their week. And then uh, people interact directly in the email. And then the product generates a report that sends it as an email to the manager, to how happy it was at the team. So everything happens in that email, but that's an exception. So a lot of companies use email as a marketing tactic and email is really good at recovering what was lost or that's where most of the focus is that like a lot of people are using email to for churn reduction, you know, like people churn and I try to get them back. Or onboarding, when people drop off the onboarding process, I send email to try to get people back. Often they don't really have a strong strategy around that. And a lot of them send emails when it's already too late. So the impact of those emails is very, very small. Because if I'm going to send an email to somebody that already made a decision, I made a decision to stop using your product. I made a decision to drop off, to not sign up. It doesn't really matter what email you're going to send me. Uh, the chances for your email to change my mind are very, very small. Now, if you send emails when I haven't, that decision was not made yet, but I have troubles, your email might have a very big impact. And if you are going to send an email when I don't even know I have a problem, but your email makes it very clear to me that I might get to that problem and thanks to email, your email, I won't get to it your email would have a huge impact. So that's where it is. Depends a lot on your strategy. We've seen companies that like they recovered 20%, up to 20% of their onboarding drop-off with email, but most of the companies are in single digit numbers, uh, like a couple of percent, two, three percent, a few percent (laughs) to recover uh, users. And that also makes a lot of sense because you send an email to hundred people to a thousand people, you already know your open rate is around 20%, 30%, 40% if you are really good. And then you know that out of those that open the email, again, there is a huge drop off in the people that actually interact with the email. So you, you should not expect your email to change your business, but you can expect of your email to make your numbers better. Like if you're just below the target, your email can get you above the target.
0: I love to hear that because it's usually us preaching that, and now here is an expert that's not specifically biased, but (laughs) saying the same, that it's not the ultimate bullet, but it can be neglected because it's a powerful tool.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, this reminds me of the saying when, uh, please give me strength to change what I can change. And relax about what I can't change. And now give me wisdom to tell one from the other. So, (laughs) uh, us email marketers have to tell uh, one from the other all the time. You joined our user onboarding roundtable and we talked about, and we had a dedicated workshop about the one metric for user onboarding. We're going to leave the links in the show notes for our listeners. You mentioned both times how to measure the impact of an email. And that is not just tracking its conversion rates. It's a more intricate setup. So tell us, how do we do it to avoid bias?
1: Okay, so let's take the short route and maybe the long route after. And I'm going to start with a story, because the story usually makes it much easier for people to understand. We have this team. I was working with them a couple of years, well, a few years ago, probably five, six years ago. And I was working with them, a new hire, product marketer, She was really excited to uh, implement the email strategy, like uh, the company had really poor onboarding emails and she uh, wanted to change that. And she worked with a team, I think there were four or five people, they implemented around 50 email scenarios, female email campaigns, it was huge. They thought of everything like, oh, if they get there or if they get there, but all, all of it was based on intuition and customer discovery and talking to customer and to the, with the support team. So they did it by the book from that perspective. They implemented, they wait two months, they run on the numbers, they, she goes really proud to the CEO and uh, does a beautiful presentation in which she says, this is what we implemented. We have 50 mail campaigns targeting all the users in all these scenarios, we target this many users, we had this open rate, and this is how many sales we generated from email. And the CEO, like with a poker face, looks at it and he says, now nah, those conversions would have happened anyway. I don't believe you. And now the product marketer, like she went with high energy in the meeting, she got out really angry out of it. Like she she worked with the team, she was very happy with how everything worked out, but she could not get back to her CEO with. An answer that would show him wrong. And she was really angry and she calls me. We chat about it and I I take the side of the CEO and it's like, what if he's right? And The only way you can go forward with this is to prove him wrong. There is no other way. But how do I do that? Well, let's think of the problem and let's see what question should we answer in order to prove him wrong or right. And he said that Those conversions would have happened anyway. Okay. So that means that like we send emails to a number of people. We know how many people open them. We know also how many people converted out of those opens. Now you targeted everybody. What's the closest thing we would have with somebody that didn't receive an email? Well, it would be the people that received it and didn't open it. Like if I received and didn't open the email, it's like, I didn't receive it. Yeah, I don't, I'm not aware of the context from that email. It's not as perfect. Ideally we should have an AB testing where we simply take an audience and we don't send email to them and then we have an audience and we send email to them, but we don't have that. We only have the people that open and the people that don't open. Let's look at the conversion rate of the people that received the email, didn't open, but still converted. She looked at of it like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Like she was very confident that that would make her CEO see the value. And we ran the numbers and the CEO was right. <laughs> Not only that, out of the 50 emails, there were three emails with a negative impact. People that opened emails upgraded at a lesser rate than the people that didn't open. Now she was... I remember when I showed her the numbers and we show, I showed her the report, which was pretty simple. Yeah? Like you've sent, let's say thousand emails, 300 opened them and you got 40 sales, 700 didn't open them and you got 70 sales. It's 10% for each group. So no matter if people open or didn't open the emails, the conversion is the same. And yeah, like she was shocked. At first and then she wanted to look at the granular data and then she saw the campaigns of with negative impact, she instantly went and shut them off. And then we started discussing, why do we think that's the case? And she realized that the campaigns that were having a negative impact were very aggressive. we trying to get people to upgrade even before we finished the onboarding process. So yes, like if you are trying to sell something very very pushy, like people will simply, I go to the next store because it's going to be more civilized. I like it more. People that didn't open the emails didn't experience that pushiness and yeah, they converted. So that's when we looked at it and she didn't go to the CEO to tell him you're right, But she worked with her team and redesigned all the emails and having that data and looking at it daily, she got more than half of those emails with a positive impact. So opening the email and converting being higher and statistically significant, but not opening and converting. And then she went to the CEO. (laughs) And that's when the CEO had nothing to say and congratulated her and her team. And she also established herself as a data person inside the company. Now everyone who would ever have a question or the CEO saying something, the CEO saying something that they don't think they tried, they would go to her and go like, we need to prove him wrong. So yeah, that's how we got to first analyze the performance of the email or the, inf- the impact of the email campaigns.
0: This is the second story in today's recording that a success story starts with an ignorant CEO. So, <laughs>
1: <I don't> know, <laughs> sure. yes. uh,
0: the first CEO was yours, was just downright impolite. And uh, yeah, the second was probably a bit wiser. But also, starting something with a point to prove your superior wrong, it's not a good strategy long term for just human wisdom. <laughs>
1: I actually disagree with that depends a lot on how you do it. So data mm-hmm. is a lot about politics and basically data is, it's like having access to objective facts and using them in a subjective way. Like you use the data and you don't have a lot of power in the company and there are all those VPs and the C-level people have, that have a lot of power in the company, but they're always subjective. When you have data that's very valuable and accurate and precise and tells a real story, not only they will appreciate that you prove I'm wrong, but they'll start to see you as a very important asset. and I've seen that done over and over again. Of course. The purpose is not to prove them wrong. If you do that, like uh, my purpose is to prove the CEO wrong and so show how he's worthless, you'll lose the game. If your purpose is to make the truth apparent to everyone, even if it's in contradiction with what the CEO believes, you will win every time. Because yeah, like take that data, tell a good story. You can even make it in a way that makes it like you can say, hey, because and that's the truth as uh, this email marketing campaign. It's because the CEO said that she went on to be data driven. The CEO sparked all of that. The CEO could have said, yes, thank you for the presentation, still have the poker face, still know in his inside him, like, yeah, that would those would have happened anyway, but I need to make her feel good, that she did a good job. <laughs> and leave it at that. And but no, he He told her what he believed, put that spark there, and actually that person, that product marketer became his right hand for many, many years and became the most powerful person in the organization for many years.
0: Let's talk about specifics of such experiment that can be done. What's a decent sample size that it's even worth to start measuring? And what time frame? And how would you exactly do that? Yes,
1: Here is is where statistics comes to help us, though we need to know how to use it because it's important. Basically, you want to make sure that you are looking at statistically significant results. And you also want to make sure that you have ideal at least a month of data when you analyze, like a, a full cycle. You could get statistical significant results in the first three days just in the next couple of days to not be statistical significant anymore. And two weeks later to be the opposite result. So that can happen. It's important to have a minimum period of time, two weeks, probably it's the minimum sample size, I would say minimum hundreds. Like if you're analyzing tens, that's not statistics, like hundreds, 300, 500 signups of people that received emails and then get statistical significant results, that's a minimum to get started and there is a big but, it's important that you actually write the story first. Here's something that's very interesting and many experiments were done on this many times. I take any data set, like let's say I'm sending an email to all my users. And now I want to look at the people that opened and people didn't that didn't open. Let's say I take that same approach and I'm going to look at Every single objective they can deal with and see if I find one with a statistical significant impact, you will find one. And that's. that, that doesn't mean anything because it's the way statistics works. Like I can go out in the world, uh, let's say I go to the mall and I split uh, the audience. Like Some people go through one door and the other people go through the other door. And I bet to you that I can find statistical significant results that one door will lead people to eat more something than uh, the other door, which has no correlation between them. That's why you need to write the story first. What are we analyzing? What's the context? What do we want to achieve? And do we have statistical significant results in achieving that instead of let's look at all the data, all the variables possible and see if we find any statistical significance anywhere. There is a great study on chocolate done like that when they like, there is this myth out there that if you eat dark chocolate, uh, you are going to lose weight. It's exactly like they did it. Like, they took a small sample of people, 50 people, uh, they gave dark chocolate to some and then uh, to the others, they didn't. And look at tens of variables, like stress levels and sleep and diet and everything. And of, of all those variables, they found one where it was statistically significant results and they published it. Of course, they made it sound like they looked for that specifically. And everybody took that. And a lot of people actually believe that eating dark chocolate is good for your diet. It's not. But it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's how statistics works. And you need to be very careful about that. And the way you address it is write the story up front. Just like I did with her, like, how do we prove him wrong? What should we expect? What's the normal course of things? What we should expect to see in the data? Let's see what we find. And that's how you should approach it.
0: You rely a lot on the open metric for these occasions, yes. and like we all know an open metric is not a very accurate metric
1: these days. Yes, but I still believe it's more accurate than a click metric.
0: No kidding. I was about to say the opposite.
1: In terms of tracking, click metric is way more accurate because you know for a fact that somebody clicked on a link, that's a trace of it in a server, but that's the actual click. If I open the email and I then just open the browser and log into my application, that's a click you do not track. And from the studies we've done, we've seen a lot of people with that behavior. I receive the email, I open it, I read it, I don't click on your link because I have a specific browser set up. I work in a specific way where I have it on my phone, I read the email on my phone, I open the browser and I log into my application and do what I want to do there. So from that perspective, yes, we've seen that after opening an email, way more people get immediately after that into the application, rather than those that just click on it. So that's why we rely more on the open. Yes, the open rate is not as accurate, but when you look at big sample sets, it's the statistics that matters.
0: One thing you teach is that there are two types of consequences that an email can cause. And one is the immediate behavior impact that when, yeah. you're, um, when you're describing here, you open and you do something and you can track certain order of events in a short term. And the other one is like fuzzy, holistic, whatever, more like mental, another touch point in the journey. And how do you even think about tracking those?
1: Yeah. So as I said earlier, it was the short story on how you impact, how you measure the impact of emails. We actually did a brainstorming, well, a working group here at InnoTrends on analyzing email further. And that's when we took, let's let's go into the long approach of things. Like when you send an email, you have a goal for that email in your mind. You're like, I want people to upgrade to paid or to do that specific onboarding step or finish the onboarding. And so like, you have a specific goal for that email in your mind, especially for the automated emails. And then you also send marketing emails, which the goal is for them to re-engage with your product in any way they see fit. So I think it's very important when you analyze the impact is like, first question is, well, the the impact of the email of what we intended. Like if I'm sending emails to get people to upgrade, how many upgrade after interacting with that email? And after how much time? How many upgrade immediately, like in the next hour or so? How many upgrade the same day or in the next three days or in the next seven days? So analyzing the distribution of how long it takes from the moment of email to the moment of upgrade, understanding that the closer to the email, that's what you truly can attribute to the email. Like if I send an email and a lot of people immediately after go and upgrade, I know I've done an amazing job. Now, if I send an email and people upgrade in two weeks or in seven days after also using the app a lot, how much can you attribute to that email? Like if you, again, you do the same exercise, how many people receive that email, opened and upgraded, didn't open and upgraded, and you see that, that impact. But it's very important to look at the immediate impact of the email. And yes, it's a little bit more work. You'll probably need to download analytics data to put all those events together and do that time measurement. But that's how you look at the impact of email on immediate terms. But then, and the thing with these emails is like, I I really don't expect, uh, and I've rarely seen huge impact from such emails immediately. But then is the second part of the story. You send emails and they re-engage people into the product. By re-engaging them into the product, you actually increase the chances for them to upgrade to paid, if that's the goal. So, I might have many emails that I'm sending, like there's a welcome email immediately after creating an account, there are emails that I'm sending after people drop off certain onboarding steps and I'm trying to get them back to finish the onboarding process, to congratulate them when they finish the onboarding process, to educate them on what needs to be done next. All these emails will have a smaller or bigger impact on getting people re-engaged with the product, getting more value from the product they don't have a direct impact, but the more they re-engage users, the more, the higher the chances of people to upgrade. So that's why when we look at emails, we don't care about the purpose of the email. Like We don't care about why did you send that email and what did you intend for this analysis. What we look is what are all the emails that people receive from the moment of sign up to the moment of upgrade. They might be marketing newsletters, product updates, everything, anything in that area, personalized or not personalized. We look at all of them and by understanding how they re-engage users, and again, we do that open converted, not open converted, actually, we we can actually go and see which of those emails have an indirect impact on the decision to upgrade. So yes, they don't get people upgraded right away, but if you stop doing them, you'll decrease the engagement of your product. And thus the chances of people to upgrade. And that's why this is very much linked with what I said in the beginning. If you are sending emails to people that already made a decision to abandon, that impact would be zero because you are trying to recover. If you are engaging users that are still active in your product and you are truly helping them, Even if your email never says, upgrade to paid or buy a plan or take a discount, you might have a huge impact on the decision to upgrade. Going back to that example I told you earlier with the CEO that didn't believe the impact of email, when we looked at all those 50 campaigns through this methodology, there were actually two campaigns that had a positive impact. Both of them were product updates, newsletters, not a single call to action in them.
0: Yes, when you were starting the thought, saying that every email has a goal, not every email has a specific CTA. That's exactly yes. um, what we recommend. Basically, is that Gary Vaynerchuk's framework of jab, 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 right hook. When you provide value, you don't even ask for anything, and then occasionally have stronger calls to action. So, is the method about comparing audiences—one that is not engaging with emails and another one that? is opening and seeing how they perform is that they uh, would be the correct way to interpret your method.
1: You need to put the engagement with the product in the same. way. like the goal is engagement mm-hmm. with the product. And the question is if people interact with email, if they engage with the email, does that actually increase the engagement with the product? Mm-hmm. And you can do it the same way. So, okay, I, I send an email, how many of the people that opened the email uh, logged into the product in the next one hour, three hours, six hours, 12 hours, and so on. Uh, And then you get a distribution and you do that for every email and you can quickly see like, Hey, like this email does a much better job at getting people through. And that tells you, Hey, if I send it at a better hour, do I get higher engagement? Like if you you might send an amazing email, but you send it at the wrong hour. They cannot engage with the product right then and there. You'll have engagement probably the next day, and you can see it as a spike in your data when it comes to the data of uh, when they re-engaged, but you'll also have a drop-off. So if immediately after sending the email, I get people that don't engage the product in the first hour, two hour, three hour, five hour, and then I start getting, move that email to the moment when you start getting, because you are just not helping anyone at the beginning. Doing that distribution tells you gives you a great framework for when you should send emails.
0: I'd also like to mention that uh, we always worry so much about what's inside the email, what the user is going to do. But there are so many layers to that. And one is they open. So you send the email, they see your brand name show up in the inbox. They might not even open the email. That's uh, what uh, MailChimp once called the billboard appearance of the email. Yes. So it might still be worth it. Then they yes. open it. They might not read it, but they might appreciate the looks of it. And uh, yes. whether it's friendly looking or horribly written or something, then they might read it. Then they might want to think about it. It's so many steps towards even getting to meaning. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. And that's why that's why even our method is not perfect. Like if you would want to mm-hmm. make the method perfectly that billboard effect is important because we rely on people that open and don't open. And yeah, some of those that didn't open, maybe they saw your name in the inbox and just seeing your name was enough for them to re-engage them in, in the product, to remember about you and not open. Yes. The method is not perfect, but the alternative would be to Start splitting your audience into people that receive email and people that don't receive email and measure them, which is way, way more difficult. We've done that a couple of times just to see how accurate our method was and the conclusions were the same. But if you'd want to go scientific all the way, that's how you need to do it. You actually need to split the audience. And there is another thing that also influences another layer, which I think it's hugely important. People already have an idea about your brand, what you are, what you should say to them and what they expect to get based on how they interacted with your website, with your application so far. So that's a very, very important layer. Fitting the perspective of what the user expects. I think you could have an ugly email. If that fits perfectly with what the user expects, you'll be surprised of how big of an impact that email can have
0: uh two polls at all run by Ben Orenstein they have super um, i'm not going to say ugly they have super informal gmail looking engagement emails and i'm i'm pretty sure they work fine like yes. it sounds like they know what they're doing with their email styles and then there's another band of our clients who are always looking to, to send the most polished pretty looking emails in the world they also <laughs> probably write
1: If you would receive a Gmail email from Apple, you'd probably think it's phishing. (laughs) And if you receive an Apple looking like email from a small company you just signed up to, you'll probably think it's too salesy. Like why are they putting so much effort into this email? So yes, you actually need to fit those expectations.
0: We started offering free strategy calls here at UserList a few weeks ago. And one of the most interesting ones that landed first was by a founder of a massive freemium product, DevTool. I'm not going to call names. So they have a huge amount of users signing up every minute, like hundreds every minute or so. So experimenting with their entire user base for email sending, it's enormous money actually inspired yeah. us to write a goal and write an article on how to save money on high-volume email. So, But that aside, um, and they never did email for that reason, because it's just, they did fine, people activated, no problem. Uh, for every freemium product, there is huge potential for converting active free users into paid. That is like the money pit. Uh, but they needed convincing. Uh, so they wanted to run an experiment and were looking for like a playbook, how to run... An experiment on your huge audience, how to prove the value of email. How would you approach that kind of experiment if you were
1: the one in charge? From the end to the beginning. Now, this company, if they would send a welcome email to everyone, that would probably be the most expensive email and the worthless email of all of them. (laughs) Welcome emails, we actually exclude them by default from the analysis because I sign up, immediately I also receive an email... There are two things that are uh, fighting for my attention, the interface and the email. There's no way that you can statistically isolate the email to see if it had an influence of any sort or not. So I would simply ignore uh, the email. So I would go from the end, like what are what are they trying to achieve? Well, maybe they're trying to uh, get more people to go from the free plan to the paid plan. Okay, what's the segment most likely to get there? based on their data analysis, that segment is definitely not 100% of their users, probably it will be 10% of their users, 5%, 15% of their users, and focus on that segment and send a single email campaign or a single email sequence for that base of users and work on it until they have a positive impact, not launch it and move to the next one. Work on it until it pays, like they could have a very simple goal. The email needs to pay for itself. Like I run email campaigns on these groups and I'll stop optimizing when the profit from these email campaigns pays and I actually get even more than that what I'm paying for the emails because otherwise I'm at a loss. Yeah, getting to that moment, you move to the next one. And this is not a project for a week or for a month. This is a project for the long term. As I said in the beginning, email take helps you when you are just under the target to get just above the target, which is a huge difference. Like when you get at the end of the year and we are five percent under the target, think of it how you feel compared to we are three percent above the target. It's huge difference that line, and that email actually helps you get over uh, that that line. That's what you need to focus on. So find that segment that's most likely to benefit from email, focus on it, optimize until you get profit, move on to the next segment. And if you do it like that, you might actually get even to the welcome email, though I doubt it you'll ever send it, <laughs> and be fully profitable. The whole email sequence paying by for itself and even making more money.
0: I'm going to even say a horrible thing. You, can, you don't need specifically email software. Well, you, sh- you don't need an email sending service like, postmark, send, grade, whatever. Yeah. But usually if you go that narrow with your targeting, you can identify the segment within your app and send emails straight from your backend, like in the linear sequence. So sure, it will be hard-coded, but you'll probably save if you want to.
1: Yeah, so like you, you can try that as an experiment to see how it works. And after mm-hmm. that, you can make the decision to... Start feeding the software you like, probably user list. <laughs> <laughs> and you start feeding that software only with the data that you need. So, like, and how does that work for you? Like, can somebody decide to only send like not all the signups, but only that some certain people that hit a certain goal after they hit that certain goal to populate the data? Would that yeah. work?
0: In user list, absolutely, in any other software, they can probably also do that. The only caveat there is that most email tools charge on total user count, not based uh, on the volume of email sent. So that kind of segmentation needs to happen somewhere, probably before, if they want to really save money.
1: It needs to happen yeah. before. That's, yeah. So, but basically, somebody that has that volume of uh, data usually has to have a, has a data warehouse. So it's easier for them to segment that uh, beforehand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd like to add the two cents that um, they've been also, one of the reasons why email wasn't so important to them is because they've been leveraging other channels such as um, in-app notifications, like hello bars and other things that don't require money to send uh, because they can be done in product DIY. So uh, not like they completely ignored the question of user engagement, just had their own channels to do that.
1: True. No, it's good. The beauty of email is when done right, it feels like special attention to me. When done wrong, it feels like spam. It's so difficult to get it right, but we've seen it. There are those emails out there that you actually wait to get them. I actually asked this myself. Like, I, I, I often say that, but what are the emails that I actually am waiting to get. And I realized the ProfitWell emails are really, really well designed.
0: Uh uh
1: And I can't wait to get them because they are deep into... So basically the way they work, I think they did a very smart job there. You set up a goal in your ProfitWell account of what your growth you want to be. Uh, And then every week on Monday, they send you an email on how likely you are to hit that goal this month. And at what percentage you are from hitting that goal. And that's all. It is in that email. Uh, but it feels so good to get it.
0: <laughs> well, to that bunch of emails, I can totally relate and add uh, hrefs emails, a Google Search Console emails. Well, somebody doing SEO. Those warm my heart. Yeah. These are transactional though, or like new purchase notifications And Gumroad were my old favorites. These are transactional, not necessarily
1: True. Uh, in, ter- in terms of educational email, yeah, I think Peplaya is uh, one of the the ones that I, uh, I get. And yeah, it's nice to read them. There was one that was educational. I'm not sure if they still do it anymore haven't seen their email in a in a while it was dreamhost is a hosting company like the most boring thing ever but they had the funniest emails possible like sarcastic kind of think of the stand-up comedy feeling so oh my god I remember getting those emails and wanting to see what's the joke of the week and they would take something that happened on the internet today make a Big joke out of it, and then say how it would be achieved in Dreamhost to do something like that. It was so well written. Uh, yeah, one of those emails that yeah, you, you smile before you open them.
0: As we're wrapping up today's episode, what would be one do and one don't when it comes to measuring email ROI?
1: One, let's start with the let's start with the don't. Um, when measuring a email ROI, Don't limit yourself only to the email and start from the perspective of the email. Always start from the perspective of the user. So yes, you want to analyze the impact of email on users. The subjects are users, not emails. So you're not analyzing emails, you're analyzing users and how they are touched by the emails, how their behavior is changed by the emails that's something that will definitely get you closer to analyzing it uh, the right way. And as a don't, uh, again, uh, another one is don't ever think that the welcome email will make a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> you can even stop sending it. Uh, nobody will fill it. Uh, you could start trying to be, be creative about it, uh, be funny about it. Um, the only good purpose we've seen for the welcome email is many months from the moment of sign up when somebody forgets what's their username and they look for their brand in the email to find that welcome email where it says, what's the username, uh, if you put it there. I That's also the only see scenario. what email
0: it was sent to because I use multiple email addresses. That's
1: yes. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, don't rely on those. As a big do, I think I'm going to repeat myself and say... Start from the goal and move backwards from there. Start from the place where you can have the biggest impact and the immediate impact. And then slowly move to areas where you can have uh, indirect impact um, and just increase engagement.
0: Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today. Hard-earned wisdom. Where can people find more of your, yourself personally and of inner trends?
1: I'm very active on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. They, they are my uh, networks of uh, my favorite networks where I spend time. Um, and yes, I, I love to to interact with people there. And about Trends, yeah, simply head to innertrends.com, especially our resources. We have great resources on how to measure stuff from onboarding, retention, email. And uh, yes, if you have any questions, simply reach out to Claudio at InnoTrends.com.
0: I also know you have a podcast show there as well.
1: Yes, we have a podcast, the Data-led podcast, where we talk about uh, everything data from tracking, setting up, to visualization, storytelling, decision-making. So yeah, mostly for product managers, product marketers that want to be data-led.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks once again, Claudio, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find a written recap for this episode at useless.com slash podcast. Please help us grow by leaving a review on iTunes.